strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. It's very simple to do. You can uh, do it on any device you have. Never miss a minute of the show. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. So the county attorney in Maricopa County, uh, Rachel Mitchell, is not going to extradite, at least not right now, is not going to extradite a suspect that is suspected of murder in New York. And the DA in New York City is very upset because um, Rachel Mitchell, the county attorney, is concerned about uh, soft punishment, soft treatment of this suspect in New York, which outraged the county or the district attorney in New York. He said Mitchell's behavior cheapens justice and does not center the victim, does not center the victims. It's inappropriate. I've done this for 20 years and I've never seen anything like this. So Rachel Mitchell was on yesterday here. She was on with Markson, I believe, when he was in for me and is talking about why she's not going to release this suspect. That is a concern. I mean, I I watched that the same as everybody else watched it with horror as illegal immigrants were attacking NYPD officers, you know, and we support our police here. And to see them walk out of jail, flipping off the camera, if you remember that part, and then four of them got on a bus and came here and they were arrested here. That's inexcusable. So eventually, this the suspect is going to be extradited to New York. But the reason why she wants to try this case, the, the Arizona case, first. The other thing is, while the other state would not have to necessarily honor our bond amount, and of course our bond amount here is that he cannot bond out. Um, right. There's no amount of money. But they have to honor the fact that he is sentenced to prison. And so we're going to ensure that it is honored, that he is kept in custody. And that's one of the reasons we're going first. So this is about punishment of crimes. And I will will say this politics aside, whatever you want to think of the politics of this, um, the responsibility of the DA in New York is for to the people of New York. And on the other side of that, Rachel Mitchell has a responsibility to the citizens of Maricopa County. And so if she's concerned that a case is not going to be punished or handled properly based on evidence, not based on I mean, and she's what the examples that she gives are exactly right. As a matter of fact, if you remember the story that the migrants in New York City that attacked police officers that were released on a no cash bond, they got out. And where did they go? We, they were caught here in Arizona on their way to L.A. So. The concern is a legitimate concern. Whether the DA in New York gets upset about it is is something else. I just think that when you we are, I talk about the pendulum that swings in everybody's public opinions. And when it comes to crime and punishment, the pendulum is swinging again. It is not swinging into funding the police. It is swinging in punishing the criminals, whether it's gun crimes. And instead of focusing on the gun, we're looking at even police agencies are out there actively seeking people that are prohibited possessors, meaning that the law precludes them from owning a gun. So if they're catching people and they're actively looking for people that have firearms that are not entitled to have firearms, people that are selling illegal firearms or straw buyers, there is a bigger focus on this because people are realizing that it isn't just the firearm that's the problem or it isn't the problem. I shouldn't say just isn't just the problem isn't the problem. It's the person that obtains and has the firearm that's the problem. 
We also see whether it's in, in California is a great example. There is a prosecutor in L.A. His name is George Gascon. You probably heard me talk about him. Now, Mr. Gascon was the police chief, I believe, in Mesa here in Arizona for a while. He went on to become the district attorney in Northern California, where San Francisco is, and he is the district attorney in Los Angeles County. We call them county attorneys. Other places, other jurisdictions call them uh, district attorneys. But you have law enforcement, and the, the the relationship has been repaired here in Maricopa County, but there was a divide. There was a fracturing of some of the relationships before Rachel Mitchell was the county attorney. There was a, a pretty wide fracture of relationship between the police and the prosecutors in the Maricopa County uh, um, prosecutor's office, her county attorney's office. And in L.A., you've got law enforcement that actively have been speaking out of the soft on crime policies of the district attorney. The reason why it's such an important relationship is you've got understaffed police agencies across the country. Arizona is also finding itself in some of its cities in the same boat where they are understaffed, which means cops are working much longer hours to make cases so that criminals can get tried, convicted and sent to prison if it's warranted. If you don't have a prosecuting office, whether it's the city or the county or the state, if you don't have prosecutors that are as aggressively prosecuting cases as you have cops that are aggressively making cases, if they aren't working together, if you don't have a prosecutor, and this is you know generally how it works – the, a prosecutor will say the evidence has to show this in order to charge them with this crime. So you're not making up evidence. What you're doing is dotting your I's and crossing your T's to make sure you can make those cases. And if you've got a breakdown like you have in L.A. County where you've got law enforcement busting their butts to make cases against criminals and then the frustrated law enforcement is coming out and saying, we're not getting any kind of a partnership here. We're busting our butts trying to make cases and you've got a, a prosecutor's office who is playing politics and soft on crime and doing different kinds of programs for people. Crime is going through the roof and my officers are frustrated. My officers and deputies, they're frustrated because they're out there risking their lives to catch criminals. Criminals and no one's punishing them. Based on what we've seen in New York, based on what we've seen there, our county attorney is saying we're going to extradite. We're going to send this guy to New York to face up to what he was charged with with murder. And if he's convicted, New York has a right to do whatever they want. But Arizona is going to make sure that justice is done. We're going to go first. So that we can try this case. If he's convicted, we can have him sentenced. And then when we extradite him to New York, New York is bound to carry out the sentence that Arizona has levied. He ha they have to honor that. I don't know how anyone in Arizona has a problem with this or why they would have a problem with this. Uh, this is what happens when you have a prosecutor that says, in the best interest of my jurisdiction, because I will tell you. From personal experience, there is nothing more frustrating than doing things the right way within the law and going in and saying, I'm going to call the police. I'm not going to take the law into my own hands. I'm going to let the police handle this. And then the system lets you down. Either they're not punished at all, the case doesn't get tried, or the punishment is so weak compared to what was done, you feel like I should have just handled it my I should have handled my business, should have done it myself. And nobody wants to feel that way. I don't want to be a vigilante. Um, 
No one wants to feel that way. So when you have a, a, a prosecutor that is saying, in the interest of justice, we're going to make sure the victims in Arizona get the justice they deserve, then we'll let New York run their case. We're not hiding this guy from New York. We're going to make sure that we have justice in our community. I don't know how that's a bad uh, angle to take on this. And we'll see. I'm, I'm anxious to see how it plays out. Coming up in a moment, how's this for a statistic? Over half of college graduates are working in jobs that are not utilizing their degrees. We're going to talk education coming up here in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Really interesting story from the Wall Street Journal. Um, Half of college graduates are working jobs that don't use their degrees. According to the story, it's a key finding of a new study tracking the career paths of more than 10 million people who enter the job market over the past decade. It suggests, I'm reading just this one paragraph, it suggests that the number of graduates in jobs that don't make use of their skills or credentials is 52% is greater than previously thought and underscores the lasting importance of that first job after graduation. So I wanna start there. I wanna start by saying this. I am certainly not going to denigrate a college education. I think it is a valuable tool. The older I am, the more I value it. I do not have a college degree, and it is something that has bothered me for a long time. I did not wanna go to college when I was younger. I went straight into the workforce. My life turned out pretty good. I liked working. I liked the the training that I had. I loved the industry I was in. Uh, For someone that barely has a high school diploma, and most of you know my story, um, I uh, was a good learner, so I was able to catch on to things. And my entire adult life, as much of a statistic as I should have been, I have never been unemployed when it wasn't my choosing. Never. And that is a huge, huge accomplishment for me. Not being ultra wealthy, none of that, but I've always been gainfully employed. Now, knock on wood, anybody can fall on hard times, and I'm not saying anything negative against people that have been fired from jobs or laid off. I just haven't done that, and that is an accomplishment that for someone that has a GED and not even a high school diploma, that was a big deal for me because of the job training I received. I have a skill in the trades that was very valuable. I was a hard worker. And I had a great skill set. So I'm not hammering a college education. I think there are many, many, many jobs that require a college education and where it's, it is more than valuable. It is necessary. It is something we need in our society. If you look at what Arizona is predicted to have the worst nursing shortage in the country in the coming years with the people that are moving here. To have those degrees, to become an RN, to become you know anything in the medical field, I think is so valuable. But when you look at what people were doing and how it was kind of just expected, when you look and maybe if you have kids in high school, you should ask them. They have career counselors still. They have you know people that are going to guidance counselors. They call them. And you will, it's fascinating that the vast majority of how it works is you are told by your guidance counselor, 
Here's how you apply for student loans. Here's how you apply for grants. Here's how you and everything is pushing them towards anything in college. And many college students are finding out that that business degree that 30 years ago, a degree from college guaranteed you quality jobs and a living wage for the rest of your life. That's not the case anymore. And as expensive as college has become, if you don't choose your career path wisely, you're going to find yourself saddled with debt you can't pay back. As a matter of fact, this is the other side of this, and I'm probably going to make some people angry with what I'm about to say. The president of the United States has been told by the Supreme Court that he cannot unilaterally shift debt from students and their student loans onto the rest of us because those student loans don't disappear. We, the rest of the taxpayers, pay it back. I don't think that's fair. Why should someone that has a useless degree what I mean by that is, as some of them are, some of them, you find yourself getting a degree in something that you can't find a job that pays you enough money to pay back your student loans. That's a bad choice. And someone someone guided you, a guidance counselor or otherwise, into making a poor life choice. But you got to pay back your loans. You got to pay back credit cards. You got to pay back your student loans. Um, taking a business loan out. I made poor choices in my business. Uh, against the advice of other people, the way I borrowed money for my business to grow, when the economy went south, I found myself deeply in debt. And nobody paid that off for me. I didn't file bankruptcy. I paid my creditors back. It took me time. It took me a couple of years. It took me more than a couple of years. But it took me years to pay it off. But I paid everybody back. That was my responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean that people that file bankruptcy are bad people. But I didn't need to file bankruptcy. It was difficult financially for me. But I was able to do it. So I did it. Why is it that we say students, people that make decisions on a career path and they get a degree in something, why isn't there a vetting process? Why shouldn't, for, for me, if I go get an SBA loan, if I decide, you know what, I'm going to go back into my previous career. I'm going to go back and I'm going to be an electrical contractor. When this radio run runs out, when they figure out what a amateur I really am at this and they hire a professional, I'm going to go back out and be an electrical contractor. So I go to the Small Business Administration and I apply for and I get an SBA loan and they loan me a bunch of money. And then I figure out I can't make enough money now in the trades to pay off these loans. Should the government forgive my loan? No one's talking about the small business owners out there that are listening to this show right now that are struggling to keep their heads above water financially, that in the on the backside of COVID. And the other question was, what about all those loans that were forgiven after COVID? They were called forgivable loans for a reason. The government shut down hair salons. They shut down gyms. They shut down businesses. And they told business owners, you're not allowed to stay open. And the honest business people that use those loans, the requirement was you continue to pay your employees. And they did. So this wasn't about a business owner keeping their pockets full. Now, there were people that cheated. There were way more people that cheated than should have. They were passing that on and making sure their employees stayed employed. I'm talking about when you borrow money, you pay it back. And if you don't, it damages your credit. It, and and it, people have fall on hard times. I, I get it. I understand that. I watched my credit get ruined until I could pay back everybody I owed money to and built it back up. 
But for the government to say we're going to forgive student loans when over half the people that have student loans are doing something that has nothing to do with their degree, why should the rest of us in society pay that back? I shouldn't pay back your student loan. Just like you shouldn't pay off my bad business decisions. And I just think the American public is going to see it that way. I just believe they will. Coming up in a moment, Mike Noble joins me from Noble Predictive Insights. We're going to talk about the latest Senate poll and what has now become a national story. We'll get to that coming up in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a recent poll, actually the first one I've seen, talking about the Senate race. Now, there's been two of them that are out, but locally, Mike Noble with Noble Predictive Insights has put a poll out about the Senate race. In the three-person race or a two-person race, he joins us now in studio. It's great to see you. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me, and sorry for uh, surprising. I know I was supposed to call in. So. Uh, yeah, well, no, it was, it's a nice surprise. I'm happy to see you. Um <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this poll because there's some fascinating things that you and I kind of talked about. I want to break it down. But in this, whether it is a two-person race where it's head-to-head between Ruben Gallego and Carrie Lake, or if Senator Cinema is in the race, Gallego is still beating the opponents. Yeah, correct. So in the three-way race and then the head-to-head, Gallego is ahead in both matches. The difference is, is that Gallego is in a much better position when he's just one-on-one versus Kerry Lake. However, when it's you had the the uh, Kirsten Cinema or the third element to the mix, uh, you see that Ruben only has about a two-point uh, edge and that the race is much closer and it's better, frankly, for Kerry Lake. So in a three-way matchup, it would be 34% for Ruben Gallego, 31% for Kerry Lake, but 23% for Cinema and then 12% on the side, but cinema's lost a little ground since our last poll. Now, we know that um, where it looks to me anyway, and as an observer, that where Ruben Gallego is really getting his strength is he is winning very in a by a pretty big margin with independence. Oh, it, it, it's crazy. And that's probably one of the biggest data points right there is that, like, especially when you look at their favorability. So looking at these images of these candidates or their brand, uh, that Ruben among independence, Ruben has two to one independence. I have a positive opinion compared to a negative opinion when it comes to the Democrat Ruben Gallego. But when Carrie Lake, it's actually the inverse of that, where uh, it's actually two to one negative for Carrie Lake. And also most of those independents have an opinion of her. She's a very known quantity, whereas Ruben sitting in a much better position. He also has a little bit of room to grow uh, as well. But is it and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it also that what the what what Gallego has done is he is running ads that are positive. I'm a veteran. I'm Arizona. I'm which I'm not saying is the wrong thing to do, but he is putting out a positive image as an unknown quantity. What they're learning of him, they like. Correct. And that was the thing is Ruben was a pretty uh, not a very known quantity statewide. He's obviously known in his, in his district. Yeah, his district. But we have nine congressional districts here in Arizona. And so when it comes to Ruben, he's been running ads, as you were mentioning, uh, just planting his flag right in the middle. And since he's not very known or defined, we've seen, uh, especially since since our last poll in July on this race, we saw Ruben, his negatives basically didn't change at all, say the same, but he increased his positives by about 10 points. So he's basically branding himself or putting on his uh, you know 
know, armor, so to speak, right now. Uh, and that's the thing is that, you know, he needs to get attacked by, you know, uh, the opponent to start getting those numbers, start bringing those down. But now with, with Terry Lake, she has also seen some improvement yes. as well. She is recovering Correct. from some of that negative. Correct. So she, uh, Lake has, uh, you know, we've seen she's been making overtures or actions to try to start, uh, you know, uh, mending the wounds among the Republican base. Her objective is to consolidate the base. And we've shown in the polling, even the polling mid last year, she had a problem with that moderate or McCain wing of the party. Uh, we noticed she's made a little bit of inroads there. Uh, she's still underwater overall. However, uh, she's making inroads there. And so uh, we'll see. I mean, it, but he, she needs to start consolidating that. But she did make up some ground. So she has been doing some uh, some good work and actually uh, moving the needle. Mike Noble's joining us. He is the CEO, president of Noble Predictive Insights. And uh, this is the first big poll here in Arizona about the Arizona Senate race. So let me ask you a couple of questions and how this could play out based on the data you've been collecting forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we are going to see a ton of money thrown at this race from every side. Insane amount. Is there a chance that we could see a dramatic shift in these numbers be based on spending and messaging? Yeah, I, I still think you're going to see a large amount of, of funds come in because the reality at the end of the day, there's not a lot of Senate seats that are up and there's not a, a ton to really flip or go after this election cycle. And Democrats absolutely want to hold this Senate seat uh, because they really don't have any opportunities to pick up this cycle. The way the, the map is set up this year, it kind of really benefits the GOP where they can kind of go more on offense or that more offensive opportunities. So I, I, I mean, it might be a slight change in numbers, but I think you're going to just see an incredible amount of money poured into this race. And frankly, I think you might actually see more money poured into this race due to, again, when you got a high profile figure, I mean, yes, Carrie Lake, for example, high profile figure, but she's also very nationally known as well. So uh, again, frankly, I, I think the money is still going to be high. Just the question is how much. But there certainly is room to see this race get much closer and Carrie Lake could still win this race or even, and I don't want to discount Senator Sinema, it looks like time's running out for her, but there's room for, if she decides to get in and she's got the money to start running ads about the things that she's accomplished and done, moving to be an independent senator, there's still a chance that she could win this race as well. Yeah, so that's, a, that's the uh, million dollar question is Sinema, you know, is she going to get in the race or not? And, you know, and I said in the release yesterday is that based on everything seeing based on her fundraising numbers she's ever since she moved from the democratic party she's been struggling to raise money or to show how, how she's going to be able to fund this campaign and so uh, and also signatures are due in april and she has to get about forty thousand. i haven't heard a soul uh be asked to sign a petition and basically cinema needs to announce within the next week or the windows close and you're already seeing the window close right now because her polling she was in a stronger position previously now you've seen that kind of uh, go away it's almost the same situation of DeSantis of where he was in the presidential primary against Donald Trump right after the election he was in a great position but he held on a little too long uh, and then he finally jumped in the race but he really gave up his position I think that race could have looked very differently if he would have chose uh, made a different decision but that's the same scenario we're seeing here and then also uh, with this race I think absolutely be closer because here's the thing like in the same poll even though Ruben versus uh, Kerry Lake head-to-head -head, Ruben's up by 10 in that same poll we asked the generic congressional ballot just asking you know you vote for a generic Republican generic Democrat the state leans to the right it's R plus four R plus five so Republicans have an advantage it's just it's the type of Republican basically like they love a regular just a regular old boring Republican however the MAGA brand or style 
Republican. They've proven they can win primaries, but still, I think, need to prove they can win a general election. But what is it? Why is it then the the dichotomy of this is that President Trump is leading President Biden in the polling in Arizona, he he's winning Arizona, and yet Carrie Lake, who was a MAGA Republican, seems to be behind Ruben Gallego. It's because, you know, welcome to the uh, new age of modern day politics, where a lot of these historical trends or, or items is that, to your point, is that, yeah, if someone top of the ticket is performing well, there is a strong benefit to those down ticket. We're seeing that's not really the case as much anymore. Voters are differentiating because the presidential race, very different, but there's kind of this rally around the flag effect going happening around Trump with all the legal battles. So Republicans have really uh, uh, come together with them. And also they just really dislike Biden. But doesn't this also give even more power to independent voters that are willing to say that just because I vote R at the top of the ticket doesn't mean I'm going to do it all the way down the ticket? Oh, 100 percent. And that's the thing is that all of these elections, too, in the general these general elections are being decided by independents. I mean, they're only these truly moderate. So not independents that lean one way or the other. So like your true independents, they're about 60 percent roughly of the overall electorate so not a big group however that group when the other team is, is is so split and they're almost pretty even in size they're ultimately have the thumb on the scale so they're deciding who's winning and who's not in these general elections all right so if people want to learn more and because of get your data and see what you guys have on your website how do they find you uh, just google noble predictive insights or noble predictive insights.com we also are on x and uh, a few other platforms uh, i think it's at and predictive but you can go on there you can sign up. You can get on our press releases. We also have a ton of resources and blogs like interactive dashboards. Basically, if you like data or you like facts and truth and you want to come to your own conclusions, great. We have a ton of that stuff on there uh, if you want to check it out. I appreciate you coming in today. Mike, I appreciate you having me and, and thanks for letting me uh, surprise you. No, as always, it's a great time. <laughs> All right, that's Mike Noble from Noble Predictive Insights. Uh, coming up in a moment, we talk about the border. We'll get to that in just one moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, the M3F Music Festival is headed to Steel Indian School Park March 1st and 2nd. 100% of all profits from this music festival go to various charities throughout the Valley. Limited tickets are still available, but you could purchase them and maybe even win a pair of tickets right now on the contest page at KTAR.com. Um... Continuing our conversation about the border as it seems to be morphing every day, there are rumors from the White House that the president may be going and changing his policy. Now, this is where uh, I'll get political in a minute. This is where uh, the president may be changing the policy on eligibility for asylum claims. That has been the big thing that everyone is talking about, is that this president— dramatically change the policies of the former president in an effort to be more humane in the treatment of people that want to come to America. There are many people on the president's side of the aisle that saw that as a good thing. What's interesting is the fracturing of their opinions on this. I'm not going to say the fracturing of the Democratic Party, but the fracturing of their opinions on this depends on who you are and what you're up against. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, is very critical of the president making any changes to his um, asylum rules. But if you look at Chicago and the voters in Chicago, the mayor of New York, the governor of New York, the governor of Massachusetts, uh, the citizens of D.C., Denver, Colorado, um, if you look around places that are fairly liberal in their voter block, 
they are all complaining that something has to be done to stem the tide of people at the border. So the president has a very difficult political decision to make because the complaints from the right side of the aisle have been, you want to blame Republicans for not signing on to a piece of legislation that they didn't think went far enough. And now you're trying to say, and as a matter of fact, not trying to say, the president did say that the entire country is going to know that the border is a disaster. My word, not his, but the border is not secure because of Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. And I laughed because that's a big hill to climb. The American people don't see it that way. The American people are aware. So if the president makes a switch now and he changes his eligibility or the eligibility for asylum and he goes back to what would be more of a Trump era view on asylum seekers, there are going to be people within his own party that are disappointed that he did it and vocal about it. Uh, AOC is already doing it. So the politics of this is secondary to what needs to be done. But if he does this, what will that mean for the remainder of the election cycle? That's got to be on the forefront of his mind. When the president looks at the two things, and they are realistic behind closed doors. All of them are. That's how you become successful. Publicly, and this goes for everything. When you see a team, a, a sports team that is not winning, out front when they're talking to the cameras, they are putting their best foot forward and talking about the best possible scenario. Behind closed doors, the, the organizations that are going to become successful are brutally honest. And I can tell you behind closed doors, the economy, people are still blaming high inflation largely on the president. They're not buying into this great economy that we have, even though the job numbers have been still very, very solid. Wage increases continue. People are still paying much more for items, and they hold this administration accountable. That's just the way it is viewed by people. And secondly, the American public, no longer just Republicans and right-leaning independents, Americans think that the border policies of this president have been a disaster. And they blame the bad situation at the southern border on this president. If he's going to win re-election, he's going to have to bolster his numbers in those two places. That's the politics of this. But listen to these statistics. The number of Chinese immigrants that have crossed illegally into this country have surged 500 percent in the San Diego sector. These are largely military age young men. I'm not calling them all terrorists. I'm saying the idea that these are these destitute families making their way from Central American countries where they're poverty stricken and they want to come to America for a better life. You are seeing a huge uptick in single young men crossing our border. When you couple that with the numbers of people that have crossed our border that have been captured on the terror watch list, America is seeing this as a big national security issue. It is no longer Republican versus Democrat. This is about border security, and this is where Republicans are winning on the issue because in the end, what needs to be done, and I will, I'm the first one to say, and I've said it many times, we need to revamp our immigration system. Our immigration system is flawed and is failing. We need a, a flourishing immigration system into this country, whether it's a guest worker program and easier pathways to citizenship, whatever it is, that needs to be fixed. But America is now kind of unified in we need border security, the fentanyl trafficking that's coming in here, the poison that's killing Americans, and the fact that more and more of the people that we are seeing that are coming here are young men, not families. 
people are starting to see the abuse of the asylum system for what it is. And we'll see. I'm anxious to see if the president makes this change. If he, That would be a huge policy shift for this president if he does it. And if he does, how will it be received by the American public? Is it going to be viewed as too little too late? Is it going to be viewed as a political ploy because of an election year? And how will it be received by his base? Those are all valid questions. Just after 10 o'clock, we're going to go back to the economy and talk about the average salary for people in the state of Arizona and how it's increased. But also the conversation has to be about what policies can help an economy really achieve. We'll get to those things coming up in a moment.